I'm delighted to welcome back our regular guests. Firstly, Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP. Good morning, Carlos. And can I ask, how happy are you feeling today? <laughs> Good morning. I'm feeling very happy despite the recent survey. Yes, that's good. That's good. That's showing resilience of your happiness. And Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. And can I ask, are you feeling happy? I'm sure I'm feeling happy. Hi, morning. Oh, that's good to hear as well. Two happy guests. Well, and despite the news, as Carlos was saying, because starting off on a negative note, we got the PMI data for China yesterday and it wasn't looking good. But this only covers manufacturing. How's this compared to how the service sector is doing? And which one, the manufacturing or service, has the biggest impact on China's recovery? Carlos. Okay, so let me start with the, with the second half of your question. Um, in terms of its correlation to GDP or its... Um, you know, ability to predict GDP outcomes. It's the official manufacturing PMI uh, gauge that has more um, more more impact, um, and we did see that recover slightly, um, although it remains in contractionary territory. So we are still in a situation where we have a contraction in manufacturing and an expansion in services, but the pace of contraction in manufacturing is improving very progressively, and the pace of expansion in services is declining gradually. So going forwards, what we need to see is a broadening of the recovery away from just consumption of services and towards a stronger manufacturing, investment and cons consumption of goods as well as, as services. Uh, would you agree with that, Alex? Yeah, sure. Uh, but I think the point is uh, we, we, we are more focusing on the um, surface size because uh, the consumer spending actually is, uh, is, uh, is, is the focus of the country, I think, because they want to uh, reduce the reliance on other economies from the China point of view. So I think uh, the uh, local consumption part would be, probably would be more worrying right now because of the, even though it is expanding, but this is uh, actually showing signs of uh, weakness. So I, and and for the manufacturing side, I think uh, uh, first of all we are affected by the um, reduction of reliance on China manufacturers by uh, overseas brands, and so I think that would be a trend. And I think we need and, and secondly, I think we need to see a pickup in the local consumption to to try to pick up the slack. Okay, sticking with you, Alex. Now, um, every time we hear a bit of not so good news on the Chinese economy, the experts are saying we need stimulus. Mm. So can you tell us what stimulus is needed to improve the situation? Just following up, one of our guests yesterday mentioned there are only two potential options. Uh, one, to increase consumer confidence and or for the central government to increase spending on infrastructure. But what are your thoughts? I think for spending on infrastructure, the impact would not be that big because China already has very good infrastructure and we have seen the um, this kind of a stimulus over the last decade and that really is not helping much uh, for the sentiment. So I think uh, we need to see uh, a uh, boost in uh, a, 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 a confidence boost in, in private sectors. Uh, because right now I think uh, people in China are a little bit are a bit worried about regulating uh, their businesses. So I think uh, the 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 resumption uh, the the the, the, the consum confidence level in the private sectors actually is quite low. So I think uh, we need uh, that kind of stimulus instead of monetary or or spending on infrastructure. Okay, so Carlos, how could the Chinese government increase consumer confidence? So I actually think the situation is quite dire. 
um, I think they have to be all hands on deck at this point. Um, so they have to do the monetary policy stimulus. They have to do the fiscal policy stimulus. They have to do the easing of macroprudential rules on the housing sector to fuel demand for houses. Um, and they also need to continue subsidizing consumption of big ticket items like EVs. Uh, that's been announced already until 2027, uh, but also household goods um, and, and other large ticket items. Um, I think part of the reason why we haven't seen more stimulus more quickly is that we are in this uh, you know, transition period. The, the, the MPC in March uh, just took place and some of the new leadership um, is, is still uh, in flux. Uh, PBOC is one great example. We are likely going to see a governor change there. Um, and so it might take a little longer than, than what's ideal for us to see those measures. But um, latest by July, we should see um, another batch of fiscal stimulus measures. Um, we will see PBOC uh, likely expanding its balance sheet. So they are opening the floodgates. There is talk about feng shui again in the mainland economy. Um, and we will also um, see more measures to try to address purely the, the concern and, uh, and the employment side of things. Um, those tend to be a little bit slower to act, but they are important in the context of it's a whole package of bottom-up uh, measures to try to stimulate the economy and improve sentiment. Well, strong words there from you, Carlos. A dire situation. So good to hear you're happy today. <laughs> I, I'm sorry we're going to have to continue with something that's not so happy because the US manufacturing declined to COVID-era lows. Um, does this increase the risk of recession? And if it happens, when is it likely to happen? Now, I'm sure President Biden's listening and very interested in that because the timing of the recession, of course, links very much to his election hopes. What do you think, Alex? I think we have been expecting a recession in the US for quite some time already. And the labor market actually is uh, much more resilient than we thought. So uh, it is still very difficult to call for the timing of a recession. But I think the market is expecting it. Even though the equity market actually is not uh, discounting that kind of scenario. But I think if you look at the bond market, actually, we are expecting a recession to happen. Uh, probably, I think... Uh, we may see a mild recession, but not a very severe recession because uh, the labor market actually is very strong and and hopefully will not last too long because uh, right now uh, inflationary pressure actually is easing off in the world. Mm. So I think uh, uh, there would be some room to, for, for the monetary. At least uh, we will probably see a pausing rate hike uh, soon and then probably we may see um, the inflation data to come out uh, uh, better than expected. Uh, lower than expected, then probably we, 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 the market will actually, or, or corporate would actually start to be more aggressive again. But Alex, when do you think it would be? When's your best guess when this mild recession, as you call it, uh, probably will start? in a in a few months' time, probably, I think. So this year, 2023? Yeah, this year, yeah. Okay, mm. well, that's good news for President Biden because the last thing he wants is a recession just before his election. Uh, what are your thoughts, Carlos? Well, sorry to be the perma bear today. Uh, I maybe I haven't had enough coffee. I think uh, the likelihood that Biden will get his perfect uh, soft landing um, is, is dwindling. I think um, we are seeing sustained uh, strength in the labor market. Um, Q1 GDP was revised up to 2%. It looks like Q2 GDP is going to stay above 1%. And the PCE deflator has been uh, sort of moving around a range um, of 45 to 5%. Um, so that means that they are going to, they, you know, that we are starting to see some economic uh, 
deceleration across some sectors. The cumulative rate hikes have started to have an impact on manufacturing and the housing sector, but not really on consumption. So they need to inflict more pain on aggregate demand in order to see a sustainable decline in core inflation. Um, and the, the further that deadline gets pushed into the future, the more likely it is that they're going to overshoot and they're not going to, it's not going to be a soft landing, but a, a harder a technical recession. And so we, we do still expect that we are going to have at least three quarters of negative sequential growth, but it, it's just going to happen later in the year. So our current time frame is Q4. Okay, so um, both guests agree, 2023. Um, Alex Mild, Carlos, you're a bit more uh, pessimistic. Uh, not exactly a ray of sunshine today, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we want, honest answers, of course. Uh, moving on, continuing on a negative note, the EU is looking at reducing their dependence on the mainland. I guess that's bad news, but how bad is it, Alex? Um, I think uh, uh, this is already happening, so it will not be too bad, I think, because our, uh, it is already a trend, as I've said, the overseas company sector that's trying to reduce the reliance on China manufacturing already, or trying to re- reduce the reliance on China products and technologies. So I think uh, this would be bad, of course, for China, and, and also it would um, uh, still um, put up the inflation pressure in the world a little bit because of this kind of restrictions. So, uh, but I think uh, this is already happening and the trend actually um, is, is mild because uh, we have already seen this kind of uh, scenario play out uh, for, for quite a few years. So I think the decoupling de- problem may not be as bad as expected. So um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit optimistic about the, the, the magnitude of this kind of uh, decoupling. So a, a relatively small impact um, because it's a continuation of really what's been a trend already going. Carlos, do you agree? Well, I, I do agree in the sense that the coupling, as the Americans are calling it, or the de-risking, as the Europeans are now calling it, um, is pro-inflationary. So it is, you know, essentially a risk to the global economy. Um, for China, of course, they are, you know, hedging and they've identified that the EU is only the third largest export market um, after the US and ASEAN. Remember that ASEAN as a bloc has overtaken the EU as China's largest export market. Um, and so they made a calculated um, bet to continue exporting goods to Russia. Um, if you look at export performance, it's very weak, but exports to Russia are 126%. Um, so that's uh, the optics surrounding that are naturally not going to be very good. Uh, in Europe, where the whole continent is still uh, grappling with the Ukraine invasion. So I think not very sensitive uh, on the Chinese side, but they've made their calculated estimations and they think that the impact on the economy in the context of you know demand just being weak overall um, due to that looming recession in the US. So the impact um, is not going to be that uh, strong for them. I think the risk for China is more strategic and long term um, in case they sort of... Uh, end up having a worse relationship with a big bloc like the European Union um, at the expense of um, them having a better relationship with Russia, but that might not be as useful as they think in the long term. Okay. I love this new term, de-risking. I wonder how much they paid for a marketing company to come up with that. Anyway, one of the reasons asked if you were happy earlier today is the Hong Kong happiness index is even lower than it was over covid um, why do you think that is, other than listening to today's money talk, Carlos? <laughs> I think you have to offer uh, free coffee at RTHK. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll get on to that. Yes. Um, I think definitely there are some pressures on the Chinese economy. Um, that is spilling over onto Hong Kong and people are feeling it. Um, on the export front, uh, that's one of the pillar industries. 
Um, and, and so I think the, the sentiment remains weak, just like it is in mainland China, despite a rebound in retail sales. The other issue is affordability of living in Hong Kong. Um, uh, the housing price affordability remains at a record uh, low, and so that is likely not going to help on the sentiment front. So I think if the government could do more to try to improve the access to housing um, and diversify the economy, that would help um, with the happiness uh, part. Okay, Alex, what about you? What makes you unhappy? I Other than not having coffee at the studio, <laughs> then? Uh, as a guy from the finance sector, I think the equity performance in the Hong Kong market actually pays a part. Mm. And also, I think the overall turnover actually is declining in Hong Kong as well. I mean, the um, market turnover. So that is uh, quite bad for Hong Kong because uh, actually, I think the um, stock market is a quite important uh, uh, part in Hong Kong uh, because of finance people actually are well paid and they probably have an important part in the spending as well. So the, the multiplier effect actually is quite strong. Mm -hmm. So uh, with a reduction in base that drastically because we have uh, not much IPOs and the turnover is declining and the, and the overall price performance is weak. So people are feeling negative wealth impact. So I think that is uh, why people feel feeling unhappy in Hong Kong. Okay. Thank you to Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP, and Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, for your time today and sharing their sage advice. Can I ask you guys a favour? Could one of you take a selfie of both of you and send it over to us so we can put it on our new LinkedIn site? Could you do that? That'd make me happy. <laughs> anyway...